Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing in our series entitled, I Will Honor God. Today's message takes us to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the subject, a weightless word. Please enjoy. Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Genesis chapter 2. We've started a new series here on Sunday mornings. The series is entitled, I Will Honor God. We're going to explore through the Word of God what that means. What does the statement mean? I will honor God. If you have your places in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to ask you one last time, if you're physically able, to please stand for the respect and reverence of the reading of of God's word. We're going to read two verses this morning in Genesis 2, verses 16 and verses 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The title of the message this morning is a weightless word, a weightless word. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you once again for allowing us the opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, after having the house of God taken away from us for a couple of months, Lord, I hope we never take for granted again the the opportunity that we have to come into your house. May we have a love for the house of God and being with God's people more than we ever have. Lord, be with the message this morning. Be with the word of God. Be with our hearts and minds. Open our hearts, Lord. Make them soft to hear the word of God this morning. Once again, thank you for all you've done for us. Be with our message today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, um, in our last message, what we covered on this subject is we covered how to honor God, okay? How to honor God. And, and we said that honor means to give weight to. Honor means to give value to. Honor means to understand consequences of. And what I want to look, I'm already liking this, not being able to not have one holding a microphone. I'm loving this, okay? Uh, And what what, what I want to talk this primarily about is not how to honor God, but I want to talk about what to honor. I used to love watching old Bruce Lee movies. Man, Bruce, you know? Bruce Lee, he was good, okay? Now, here's the thing about Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was so incredibly fast that the cameras of the day couldn't film him. He was so incredibly fast that he used to have to slow down. He couldn't fight at full speed or else the cameras of the day wouldn't be able to capture it. That's how 
far ahead of the times his skills were. So he had to fight slower on TV just so they could see him. But you'd watch all these Bruce Lee movies, and the thing about these Bruce Lee movies is that, you know, they're all dubbed because they're all in Chinese. And, you know, they're all in Chinese, and you couldn't understand. So they'd be dubbed. And the thing about watching a dubbed movie is the mouth is moving, but the words don't match. Uh, well, you got to watch a Bruce Lee movie. You can watch a Facebook Live video for that. Um, but the, the, the mouth would be moving, but the words wouldn't, they wouldn't align with the lips. And sometimes it could be a little distraction. It could be a little distracting. Now, what that is, is that is an illustration of a Christian who says they believe God, but their life doesn't reflect it. They say they believe God, but because their life doesn't reflect that, they really don't believe God. They really don't. Because when we believe God, our lives and our lips align. You know, man's history, our whole history, it begins with us having a struggle believing the word of God. Our whole history begins with that. Now let's read our scripture one more time. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest, uh, thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now let me ask you a question. Did Adam and Eve believe in God? Yes. But did they believe God? Not always. And there is a difference. I'm not saying today, Christian, that you don't believe in God. Of course you believe in God. If you didn't believe in God, you wouldn't be here. So it isn't a question of do you believe in God? I'm asking you this morning, do you believe God? Not in do you believe that he exists or that he's there, or that he's your savior, but do you believe the words that he says? Do you believe the promises that he makes? Because there's the difference. Flip over to Genesis 3, probably just on the same page or one page over. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Both Adam and Eve gave more weight to their own reasoning and gave more weight to their own conclusions than they gave to the clear instruction of God. And that's, that, that's what's, what's going on here. And in doing this, they honored themselves above the honor of God. I want to explore this this morning. What happens in our lives 
When God's word carries no weight with us, when God's word carries no weight with us, how, what, what does that do to us? So here's the question I'm going to ask, and I'm going to answer that question with five statements. Here's the question. How do we view a weightless word? How do we view a weightless word? And I'm going to answer that question with five statements. Statement number one, we view it as negotiable. We view it as negotiable. Genesis 3.1, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Now, I heard when I was growing up, a lot like you, I heard the statement, because I said so. And man, when you heard that, you knew it was over. Because there's absolutely no defense for it. It is the parent's trump card. You hear those words, there's nothing else you can say. There's nothing, there's no comeback for it. And the thing is, is we think when we're kids, man, when I grow up and I have my own kids, I'm not going to say that to my kids. I'm not going to say because I said so, because, you know, uh, that, that, what that's going to do, and I'm going to give them a reason. I'm not going to do that when I, when I grow up and have kids. And we grow up and we have kids and we say it. Because trying to reason with a child is like trying to reason with a cinder block wall. And you know that to be true. Okay? So, you know, we, we use it because I said so. And, you know, a lot of the tactics that we used on our, on, uh, on our uh, parents when we were kids and the same tactics that our kids use on us, we use those same tactics as adults with God. We do the same thing with God. You know, we tell our kids how things are. But no matter how many times you lay the law down with your children, what are they going to try and do? They're going to still try and negotiate with you. They're still going to try and negotiate with you. We're having this for supper. No, I don't want this. I want that. Hey, I've, I've laid out the clothes I want you to wear. No, I don't want to wear those clothes. I want to wear this shirt that I've worn for the past three days and it stinks. But this is the shirt I want to wear. She's laughing because it's true. But here's the thing. A child's philosophy, a, a child's philosophy is nothing is final until I get what I want. Nothing is final until I get what I want. And, and we're so used to this that we carry this over with God. How many times have we transformed our prayer closet into a negotiating table? How many times have we done that? Kneeling before God, we come to God with a dire circumstance, with something that really needs prayer. God, I, I, I need you here. I need an immediate answer. And God, he comes through with the plan. And as soon as God gives you the answer, as soon as God gives you the plan, we start trying to negotiate. Okay, God, if you'll leave this detail out, I'll do this for you. And if you give me this, then I'll do this for you. And, and we start trying to negotiate with God. But this is especially true when it comes to God's word. When it comes to God's word, what we as human beings love to do more than anything else is we love to try to negotiate with God's word. But let me tell you something today, something you already know. God's word is non-negotiable. 
God's word is non-negotiable. If this Bible says you shouldn't do it, then you shouldn't do it. If this Bible says it's a sin, then it's a sin. When the Bible says that life happens at conception, then life happens at conception. That's what the Bible says. Oh, but then the proponents of abortion, they come back at you. What about rape? What about incest? What about life of the mother? What about all these things? Hey, you can bring up any situation you want. That doesn't change the fact that it's still a life. It doesn't matter what the, what the circumstances are. Every decision you make has to do and will impact and will deal with a human life. The circumstances don't matter. You know what? I love how people who bring up these arguments for abortion, they bring them up. They have to think of the absolute worst case scenario, the most dire thing they can possibly think of. So, Brother Brett, well, what's your when, a, when a, someone who's pro pro choice says that to you? What's your response to that? Well, did you know that less than one percent of all abortions fall under one of those categories? You know what that means? That means that 99% of all abortions are abortions of convenience. They are abortions of convenience. Sacrifice is made on the altar of self. And you know what? The, the people who are pro-abortion, they use accepts, these exceptions to try to prove the rule. And you can't do that. You can't do that. If they can't agree with me that the other 99% is wrong, then I'm not going to enter into an argument with them over the 1% because the exceptions do not prove the rule. Let me say this. And I say this with all sincerity and with everything in my being and my, and my fiber. And when I say these words, you have to, have to believe it. I am not against homosexuals. I am not. I am against the sin of homosexuality because the Bible says it's a sin. I am not against the homosexual. I am not. And I say that with all the love in the world. I say that with all the love in the world. Oh, but I can't help the way I feel. I was born this way. Why would God make me this way if he didn't want me this way? You mean to tell me you were born a sinner? Hmm. Well, guess what? We're all born sinners. We're all born sinners. You mean to tell me that you were born enjoying sin? Join the club. We all part of that club. We all, we all sign in that, on that sign-in sheet. We're all part of that club. We're all born just predisposed to different sins. I mean, I mean, look at me. I was born liking food too much, obviously. And, I, I, and I'm no better than a homosexual because sin is sin and we are all sinners. We're all born sinners. We're all part of that club. But Jesus is the answer to that. But, you know, just because you read from a Bible that has erased gender and just because you read from a Bible that has changed to be accepting of all lifestyles does not mean that you get to pick and choose what is sin because we know what the original says. The original says that it's sin. God does not negotiate with his word. So with that in mind, let's bring, thing home. Let's bring things home a little bit.
God does not negotiate when it comes to your responsibilities as a father. God does not negotiate when it comes to your responsibilities as a dad. The dad is the leader. The dad is the authority in the home. Uh, uh, the dad is the spiritual leader of the home. But you see, the problem is, is moms have to step up and moms have to step into this role uh, because the dad is dads aren't doing it anymore. That's why you go to most churches and the women outnumber the men. And mom, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not getting on the moms for that. You're doing a good thing, mom. In the absence of a dad doing that, the mom has to step up and do it. You got to do what you got to do. But what we need is more dads to step up and take that role back because God's word says it and God's word is non-negotiable. God's word is does does not God's word does not negotiate when it comes to responsibilities to your marriage and to your spouse. You are to live for the other person. Wives, uh, husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. I said the S word. Why did I say it? Because that book says it. Brett Martin didn't say it. I didn't make that up. I promise you, I didn't make it up. The Bible made it up. The Bible says that God was the one who said that. God's word doesn't negotiate when it comes to your responsibility as a Christian. A Christian should read the Bible. A Christian should pray. A Christian should attend church faithfully. A Christian should tithe. A Christian should witness to others. I call that, I preached a message here a couple years ago called a five-star Christian. I call that being a five-star Christian. That is the foundation of our Christianity is those five things. Read the Bible, pray, attend church faithfully, tithe 10% to God, and witness to others. That is the foundation of being a Christian, and it is not negotiable because all five of them are commands. You know what we've done, though? We've confused long-suffering with negotiation. We've confused the fact that God is long-suffering with us. And we've confused the fact that God is patient with us. And we've confused that, oh, well, God must be negotiating with me. Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It may appear that God is negotiating with you because he's long-suffering and because he's patient, but make no mistake about it, in the end, God will have his way. And he will have his way with you or he will have his way without you. God will have his way. Moses was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness and they were thirsty. And God said, Moses, I want you to go strike the rock. When you strike that rock, water will flow from it, life-giving water. And that was a picture of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the rock. And you smite the rock and the life-giving water will flow. 
a second time they were thirsty. And God said, Moses, this time I want you to go and speak to the rock and the words will flow. And that also is a picture of Jesus Christ because Jesus was smote one time and now all we have to do is speak the words and believe in our heart and then that life-giving water will flow. But Moses, in his anger, struck the rock a second time. Now, was Moses so important that uh, uh, to God that, that he could do it his way? Was God negotiating with Moses? No. Um, oh, God was with Moses for 40 years in the wilderness. God was, in, uh, was with Moses and, 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 and all the way up until the end of his life. However, Moses, Moses didn't do it God's way. So guess what? He didn't get to go into the promised land. Eve thought she could negotiate with the word of God. And guess what? That did not go as planned. Psalms 119.89 Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God left no room with Adam and Eve for negotiation. If you want to honor God, Christian, you have to realize God's word is non-negotiable. You might not like it, but that's just tough. You might not like something in that book, but that's just tough. And usually, if you don't like something that book says, because the Holy Spirit's convicting you of it. You might not like it, but the words don't change. That's what the book says. It is non-negotiable. Number two, we view it as inconsequential. We view it as inconsequential, inconsequential. So first we try to negotiate with God. And when that doesn't work, we make his word inconsequential. So what are some reasons why we think God's word has no consequences? What are some reasons of that? Well, let's look into our story and see if we can figure that out. Genesis 3 verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, stop. Let's stop there. You know what Eve's first mistake was? Was having a conversation with old Smutty's face in the first place. That was Eve's first, her, her, first, her, her first mistake was carrying on a conversation with the devil in the first place. Did you know we, we can talk to the devil, but we're not supposed to carry on a conversation with him. In fact, we're only allowed to do one, say one thing to the devil, and that's rebuke the devil. That's the only thing we're allowed to say to him is rebuke him. But she had a thought pop up in her head. And instead of dismissing the thought, instead of thinking something else, she replayed the scenario and she replayed the thought and she considered it. Have a thought pop into your head that goes against that Bible. You better get that thought out of there because that thought is going to lead you down, to the, wrong, down the wrong path. At this point, Eve has not messed up. At this point, Eve has not done anything wrong. If she'd have walked away from the devil, if she'd have started singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved the wrench like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If she started singing that in her head, she'd have walked away from the devil. She'd have got that thought out of her head. When you start entertaining thoughts against this word, that's the first step of you going down. Let's continue in verse 2. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
I want you to notice something about Eve this morning. Eve's knowledge is limited. Eve does not have the knowledge she's supposed to have. Eve doesn't have the whole picture, okay? She doesn't have the whole picture. And what she doesn't know about God's word makes her more vulnerable to the devil. What she doesn't know. I mean, Eve doesn't know the name of the tree. She says, the tree in the midst of the garden. Shouldn't she should have been told what the name of that tree was? Shouldn't she have been told by her husband that that tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? She needed, she needed to know the name of the tree. She didn't even know the name of the tree. Eve misquoted God's command to Adam. Oh, well, she said uh, her words, you shall not eat of it and uh, lest you die. Those are close enough. But then she added the command and she put God, she put words in God's mouth when she said, nor shall you touch it. Now, of course, not touching is probably a good idea. I mean, you probably don't, if you shouldn't eat from it, you probably don't need to go have a picnic under it. You probably not to go lean up against a tree and take a nap. I mean, it's probably a good idea. The problem with that is that's not what God said. That's not the words of God. Putting words in God's mouth is never a good idea. It's never a good idea. And it actually dilutes the word of God. That's like these churches that add on all these rules. They add on all these rules. I grew up in a church full of rules. Women couldn't wear pants. We couldn't go to the movies. All these other things. A rule after rule after rule. And I got to the point where I said, look, if it's not in the word of God, I don't care what you say. I'm only going to believe what's in that Bible. It's never a good thing. It's a dangerous thing to teach the doctrines of men as commandments of God. Eve's ignorance of exactly what God said. You know whose responsibility it was? It was Adam's responsibility. It was Adam's responsibility. He did a very poor job of relating to his wife the word of God. Adam's failure to be the spiritual leader of the home, to be the spiritual leader that he was supposed to be, caused his family to be torn apart. Eve thought that God's word had no consequences, mainly because she did not know the word of God good enough, well enough, however you're supposed to say that. She did not know the word of God well enough. And Satan used this to his advantage. Satan said, ye shall not surely die. That was an outright contradiction of the word of God. But Eve didn't know the word of God. So she fell to it because she didn't know. She had no response to it because she didn't know. Don't you hate not knowing? Don't you hate it when uh, an atheist or somebody comes up and asks you a question and it's just, just right against your Christianity and right against your Bible attacking you and you got nothing? And you got nothing to say? I hate that. That's why we need to study and stay in our Bible so we have an answer. Eve didn't have an answer. Satan wanted Eve to believe that there was no consequences for her sin. 
Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Look, the pleasures of sin are temporary, and they are not worth forgetting that sin has consequences. Make no mistake about it. There is pleasure in sin. You can't call it happiness. It's fake happiness. Oh, but don't get me wrong. Sin is pleasurable. Being drunk is fun. Being high is fun. Being immoral is fun. But of course, it's only for a season. It will pass away. You know what this verse in Hebrews is about? This verse in Hebrews is about Moses. Man, Moses, if Moses would have stayed in the, in, the, in the court of Pharaoh, he could have had anything he wanted. If Moses would have stayed in the house of Pharaoh, he, anything he could think of was at his fingertips. If he could think of it, he could have it. Enjoy all the pleasures that, that he could enjoy. But if he'd have stayed in the house of Pharaoh, what he would have found out is all of that pleasure was only temporary. It wouldn't have lasted. It, because those pleasures of sin, they don't last. Why? Because at best, life is short. At best, life is short. And when you live a life pursuing a career of pleasure, your life passes by even more quickly. If not for any other reason, because those who live for the sole purpose of pleasure shorten their lives. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap everlasting life. It is so incredibly dangerous to ignore the consequences of going against the Word of God. When we give no weight to God's Word, the consequences of that are incalculable and inevitable. And just because God is long-suffering with you, and just because God is patient with you, does not mean that He has forgotten about you. We will reap what we sow. God detailed the consequences of Eve's actions very, very well. But she was ignorant of God's word. No one taught her. And not only did no one teach her, but she had no desire to learn. Because of that, Satan was able to convince her that there were no consequences. Once again, this is just a reminder of how much we need Bible preaching, of how much we need the house of God, of how much we need by the Bible taught to us. Statement number three, we view God as withholding something good from us. We view God as withholding something good from us. Everybody remembers Mary Poppins. Just a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. The medicine go down. The medicine go down. Well, you know what? Satan's got a spoonful of sugar too. And you know what it's called? You're not going to believe it. Here's, this, here's Satan's spoonful of sugar. You know what it's called? I, I want to get close to that. It's not even on. You know what it's called? It's called truth. Truth is Satan's spoonful of sugar. You know why? Because a pure lie is rarely effective in temptation. 
It's rarely effective and it's not Satan's style. What gives Satan's temptation so much power, what gives Satan's temptation so much potency is the truth that's woven into it. Satan said that their eyes would be open and that was true. That was true. They know the difference between good and evil. And the small amount of truth in that temptation is what made it so appealing. When Satan tempted Christ for 40 days and he tempted him, did you know that, that Satan, Satan didn't use outright lies with Christ? Satan used truth. In fact, Satan even used the Bible. Satan used scripture to tempt Christ. Satan quoted Psalms 91 to Jesus to try to tempt him. In fact, all of Satan's temptations contain truth. The last one, he quoted Psalm 91, but also all there were nuggets of truth in everything Satan said to Christ. He said, if thou be the son of God, command this stone be made bread. Well, Satan's right. If he really is a son of God, he'd be able to do that. And then he said, when the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world, if Christ bowed down and worshipped him, the nugget of truth is, is that one day Jesus would have all the kingdoms in the world. But it wouldn't be because the devil gave it to him. Let me give you an example of Satan using a Bible verse to tempt. Or the Satan using a Bible verse to justify sin. People that don't know the Bible... They don't even know the scripture reference, but they know Matthew 7, 1. Because they quote it often. They might not even know the Bible. They might not even know the scripture reference. Oh, but they've quoted Matthew 7, 1 to you before. Judge not that ye be not judged. Hey, you shouldn't judge me. Don't look at me. Don't look at my sin. Hey, you're not supposed to judge. Satan uses this verse as a rebuke for condemning sin. Is that what Jesus meant? Did Jesus forbid the rebuking of sin when he said, Judge not that ye be not judged? Does Matthew 7, 1 prohibit all criticism of sin and all criticism of, of immorality? No, it doesn't. In fact, if you read it in context, it's saying, don't judge if you're guilty of the same sin. And, and it, it, even then it says, you can judge, but if you judge, be careful because you're going to be judged too. doesn't say you can't judge. It just says if you judge, you're going to be judged. So you've got to make sure you're right. Can you see how Satan's best tricks and Satan's best things he can throw at you have little nuggets of truth in them? So let's get back to Eve. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Satan himself knew what it was like to want to be like God. And so he uses that same exact temptation on Eve. Satan's like, I know this the best because I tried this, so I'm going to use this on Eve. And Eve fell to, fell to it. And it sounds to Eve, Satan made it sound to Eve like God was withholding something good from them. Eve may have thought, man, the ability to create and destroy worlds, to kill and to resurrect. These are things that Eve and her rebellion and her disobedience, these are things she wanted. Maybe she thought, hey, well, you know what? Uh, uh, God must have eaten from this tree, and maybe that's how he got his power. 
You know, the goal of becoming God is at the center of so many non-Christian religions. Mormonism, too. The center of Mormonism is trying to be just like God. However, in man's attempt to be like God, we actually become like Satan. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. But Jesus, however, Jesus was a God who came to be as a servant. And Satan made it sound like God was holding something back from Eve. Let me tell you something, Christian. Let me tell you something. When God's word carries no weight in your life, when it carries no weight in your life, you can think that God is keeping something from you. This Bible says that God loves me. But if God really loved me, he'd give me a better boss. This Bible says that God loves me. If God really loved me, though, he'd take that illness away. This Bible says that God loves me. If he really loved me, he'd give me a better spouse. If he really loved me, he'd give me more obedient kids. Why would God keep that one thing from us? Does God enjoy withholding from me uh, the thing that I want? And when it seems like our good God is keeping something good from us, it can be bewildering and it can be confusing. Man, I thought God loved me. I thought God wanted what's best for me. If he loved me and if he wants what's best for me, why is he keeping that one thing away from me? And you're not alone in this. Elijah was in the same boat. He was ready to take the world by storm. But God wouldn't get rid of Jezebel. Man, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God withheld from them. They were wanderers. They were sojourners in their own land. All they wanted to do was put down roots and God wouldn't let them. God withheld from Rachel. All she wanted was a child more than anything else. And she had to sit back and watch her sister rack up four kids where God kept it from her. And God intentionally created a tree just to withhold it from Adam and Eve. Why would he do that? Why would God do that? But, you know, perhaps we're asking the wrong question there. That's, I think, I think that's the wrong question to ask. You know what the real head scratcher is? You know what I think the real question we should be asking is this. If Adam and Eve had all those trees, they had every tree that was good for food that you could possibly think of. Why, oh why, did they ultimately insist on having the fruit from that one tree? They had every tree at their disposal. They could have had literally anything else they wanted, but all they were concerned about was that one tree that was off limits. My kids do this all the time. They do this all the time. It doesn't matter how many good snacks that are in the pantry. I mean, I'm talking good snacks, Nabisco snacks, things I didn't have as a kid. Okay, I had ketchup packets when I was a kid. But, you know, uh, that was all that was in my pantry for a snack. You know, some uh, pickled pig's feet or something. Yeah, I didn't, I asked what I had in my pantry. I didn't have these good snacks that my kids have. 
But doesn't matter how many good snacks they have, all they want is that one snack that mommy wants to eat later. <laughs> that one snack that is off limits, that is the only one that they want. Satan was able to tempt Adam and Eve because he drew their focus to the one thing missing in their life. He convinced them that God was ruining their life by withholding that one thing that would actually make them happy. I want my kids in church. Why is God withholding that from me? I want a better marriage. Why is God withholding that from me? I need to make more money. I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing how I'm going to pay the next bill. Why is God keeping that from me? Look at your life. Is it possible that you are falling for Satan's oldest strategy? Is it possible that you are fixated on that one thing that God is withholding? Has a serpent convinced you that God is actually wrong for trying to keep something from you? Is it more likely that your, your life is a garden full of fruitful trees that are a blessing, but you are stuck on that one tree? God says, you can't have that right now. You can have everything else, everything else I've given you, but this one thing, you can't have that yet. Is that more likely what's going on? That we're concerned about that one tree and we're focused on that one tree, but God has given us in our life a garden of trees that produce blessings, but we're ignoring those and we're fixated on the one thing God is withholding from us. But did you know they would say, why did God put that tree in there? We well, you know what that one tree led to? It led to Jesus. I have Jesus in my life because of that tree in that garden. I have a home in heaven because of that tree in that garden. So guess what? When we feel that God is withholding something good from us, we have to remember that it's for our own good that he does it. And we might not can understand it because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we might not understand it. But God has given us all these other trees in our life to eat from and all these other trees to get blessings from. Eve, Adam and Eve had all these other trees, but all they were focused on was that one tree God said they couldn't have. Statement number four. We view it, this is a long one, I'll repeat it. We view it as one of two paths and reason that our path may be better than God's. We view it as one of two paths and reason that our path may be better than God's. Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. You know, we often say things like, oh, God doesn't change. God uses the old paths, the old ways. They still, they work back then, they still work now. Well, guess what? We can say the same thing about Satan. 
See, because Satan's method of temptation has not changed. Satan's method of temptation against Eve is the same method he always uses. In fact, the Bible talks about it in 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So first, she gave into the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was good for food. Then she gave into the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. Then she gave into the pride of life because it was desirable to make one wise. He does the same thing to Jesus. He appealed to his physical appetites. Then, then he had tried to appeal to covetous and emotional desires. And then he had tried to appeal to pride. He did the same thing with Jesus. Satan still uses the same tricks today. 1 Timothy 2.14. This is interesting. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. So let's talk about Adam and Eve's deception. Eve was genuinely deceived. She actually thought she was doing something good for herself. She genuinely thought she had a better way. She genuinely thought, man, I have a better way than God's way. After all, this isn't like VBS when I was a kid. This is the real world. This isn't like VBS when I was a child. This is serious. After all, I'm an adult and I'm making adult decisions. So this path is good for me. This is my truth. After all, I got to do what I got to do for me. To thine own self be true. I have to follow my heart. I have to live my best life. You know, all of those statements, you know what they all have in common? Self. They're all self-centered and they're all temptations of the devil. Then the Bible says he gave also to her husband and he did eat. So not only did Eve sin, but she became an agent of temptation for her husband. But what Eve quickly finds out is that her sin often affects our loved ones more than it affects us. A lot of times we think, oh, well, what does it matter? I'm the only one I'm, I'm hurting, but that is not true. You see, because while she was deceived, Adam was not. Adam knew what he was doing. Adam knew what would happen. Adam was in open rebellion against God. Adam went into this with his eyes wide open. And it's because of this, Adam bears the responsibility for the fall of all mankind. It's not Eve that bears the responsibility. It's Adam. Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. First Corinthians 5, 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Adam, there's responsibility for everything that has happened from that day unto this one. Eve said, I've got a better way. Eve said, I've got an easier way. I've got a way that will allow me to stay true to myself. I've got a way that will make me happier. And when that way goes against God's words, it's not easier. It's not better. It's a way of destruction, not only for you, but for your loved ones as well. But he, he, here's what I want you to see here. The key thing here, and I said it from the beginning, the key is unbelief. In a sense, all sin is birthed in unbelief. 
John 16, 8 and 9. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. She didn't believe God anymore. God said, I'll take care of you. Uh, God said, I'll be with you. God said, hey, look, you will pay if you go against my word. But she stopped believing that. See, belief, belief is what you accept to be true. Unbelief is rejecting what God says is true. And non-belief is non-existent. Why? Because everybody believes something. Everybody believes something. And she quit believing God. Today, today, listen, listen, today you are considering going down a path that is contrary to the word of God. It is contrary to the Bible. You know, and you don't care. And you should. You should care. You believe your way is better because you have quit believing God. Final statement. I'm almost done. Final statement. We reap the consequences of placing greater weight on our own reasoning then we do the word of God. We reap the consequences of placing greater weight on our own reasoning than we do the word of God. Genesis 3, 7. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. First, let's go through these, this verse statement by statement. First, they knew they were naked. But you know, the Bible seems to suggest that light can actually be a garment for the righteous. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. Psalms 104.2, Who covers thyself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Matthew 17.2, And was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Now, I'm not saying this happened, but I'm saying it's a very good possibility that previously they were clothed in God's glorious light. And when they sinned, that light went out. And that is a reminder to us that sin can only lead to darkness. Next, the eyes of both of them were opened. Man, putting more weight behind their own reasoning instead of God's made their world worse, not better. The way they saw themselves, the way they saw the world, it was worse. And then, and they knew that they were naked. You know what else follows you when you, uh, when you go apart from, from God? When you go down a path that is against God's word? You know what follows you? Guilt. Tremendous tremendous guilt. Man, this, this picture is just looking worse and worse, ain't it? And they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. Now, God would, uh, would ultimately sacrifice an animal and make a covering from them. But when you've went from a covering of light to a fig leaf, oh, how the mighty have fallen. No more walks in the cool of the day. No more, no more talking with God in his garden. God can't provide you food anymore. You've got to go out by the sweat of the brow and find it on your own or you're going to die. You see, when you say my way instead of God's way, you give up some very, very precious things. And when you give up on God, all you get in return is pain because you refused to trust him.
So when we give no weight to the word of God, we are in essence glorifying ourselves and we're robbing God of glory that belongs to him. Now, how do we view a weighty word? Let, let, let me read for you Isaiah 55, 7 and 9. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, your thoughts. God knows more than us. We have to trust that. We have to trust that God knows more than us. In 1999, John F. Kennedy was flying with his wife, and his sister back to Massachusetts to attend a wedding. There was a delay. He was a, he was a competent pilot. Um, there was a delay in uh, him being able to take off, and he didn't take off on the flight till it was nighttime. Now, he was a competent pilot, John F. Kennedy Jr. was, but he wasn't, he wasn't instrument cleared. What that means is that he could fly by sight, he could fly by horizon, but he couldn't use instruments at night. But instead of waiting for daylight and instead of uh, waiting on a more experienced pilot, he took off and crashed. And him and his wife and his wife's sisters died. And the investigators determined that, that, the, that the crash was caused by disorientation by flying over water. Because at the end of the day, all he knew was to believe what he saw. And he didn't trust the instrument panel. So because he trusted his eyes more than he trusted the instrument panel, he crashed and he died. And his life was destroyed. All of us face temptation we all face the temptation to walk by sight and not by faith. Faith in God will keep us from crashing. Human reason will fail, but God never fails. His word will keep us on the right path as long as we obey it. Christian, honoring God means trusting God. I know you believe in God but do you believe God?